on today's Compassion Radio. They know that they're doing work that is not just about keeping the kids occupied while their parents do other things. It looks like that. But they know that each of the kids has a raft of baggage emotionally that they're Mm -hmm. carrying with them. And their job is to help the kids know they're safe and open up as far as they're able or willing to in order to lift the burden. Whatever the conditions the kids are that are coming in, that they respond appropriately to what those kids' needs are. Well, even if the children don't know they're processing grief and trauma, mm-hmm. they are. Oh, of course. It helps these children get feelings out. Today on Compassion Radio, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into Bram's trip into Romania. We're going to continue with the stories that he's been telling. We're wrapping up in Soret and some of the folks he met there, and then on to another city called Galatz. So, Bram, welcome to the program. Happy to be back in front of the mic. We've got a lot to talk about in short order. The trip, of course, that we took was a very short one in regards to what we were attempting to get done We wanted to cover a lot of territory. We only had like maybe seven, eight days total, including travel, to get it solved. Right. So we spent like one day here, one day there, (laughs) and kept running. The trip up to um, Suchava and then Suret at the very border with Ukraine, and then back down from there, we didn't know how far we would get. turned out that we spent one half day after leaving Yash, which is on the eastern border with Moldova into Suchava, meeting with Pastor Nelu there at the Brethren Church, Mm -hmm. then seeing all of the activity at the border in Suret, and then all the way back to the other end of the country for the night in Galatz. It was a very long day. I bet it was. Going through the pictures that you have uploaded to our Google files, I'm seeing a lot of interesting things that happened at Surrette. There is... Some very orange pictures. and Very <laughs> orange, yeah. They are inside of a tent that is set up by an organization that many of us know very well called Save the Children. Can you tell me a little bit about what Save the Children was doing there? Since the camp the day we went there was pretty much empty of families, we didn't have a chance to talk to some of the instructors that were there because if they were not active in the camp, they were active at the border processing people. Right. So they were one of the only international agencies that I saw that was active in this particular intake camp, Mm -hmm. which means they had plenty of volunteers across Romania. Save the Children is active in hundreds of countries. Right. And this country, Romania, their programs are very similar to they have with other Save the Children camps in the Middle East and in Africa, where they provide some kind of continuity for the children, whether they're studying or in daycare Things like that, because even in a refugee camp, when there's no business to be done, there's no normal life, the parents are still very busy trying to solve problems Mm -hmm. or provide for food for the day to find out who's providing supplies to the camp, what they can do to actually earn an income, because many camps allow you to go in and out in order to try to make a living begging on the streets or getting hired out for small labor jobs, Mm -hmm. or if you're a technically talented person, to be hired at minimal or obscene wages, really, Mm -hmm. to be doing the work that they would have done in their home countries or some other company there in the country where they're currently residing. Well, I love looking at the pictures of these tents because inside the tents, they're decorated just beautifully Mm -hmm. for the children. And there's toys, there's pictures, there's crafts, there's all kinds of things for them to do. And 
I noticed in one corner, there's a big pile of stuffed animals. I love that because mm-hmm. one of our daughters who is flown and grown <laughs> from mm-hmm. our home loves her stuffed animals still. And that is a sweet reminder that we all need some sort of comfort. And this is a great way for the children to receive comfort in a foreign place, to have a stuffed animal, a stuffy, as we call them, all their own, that they can hold and hug and take with them for some continuity, like you said, but also for some comfort. And these are good quality stuffed animals. A lot of companies will donate them as well as individuals, but they're trying to give the best of themselves to Mm -hmm. the children that are coming through. It's not just throw me offs or cast downs. This is stuff that they actually went out and bought on behalf of the children. I think that's important. Many of the kids that were coming to the camps, we found out, had had to leave pets and things behind. Mm -hmm. And a real heartache for the families, because who knows what's happened to them afterwards. In fact, we learned at some of the borders where the rivers were, that there were packs of pedigree animals, like dogs that had been obviously raised well, were having to run in packs with mm-hmm. each other because their owners were forbidden from taking them onto ferries to cross borders. Mm. And they had to turn loose their pets. So these kids have memories that are really raw yeah. about the things they left behind or their favorite animal, stuffed animal, they left behind at mm-hmm. home. So if they can find something like that in those stockpiles... The teachers make it an honor for themselves to be able to give this gift on behalf of the people in the country where they're currently residing Mm -hmm. as a gift to you, and they'll speak their name, and they'll let the child name the pet, and announce the name of the pet to the other students, and then gift it to that child. Mm -hmm. So it's now theirs. That's so sweet. And they carry it from that place going forward. We saw many people that were leaving Surrette that day were getting on board transports, like uh, mostly buses to get to train stations or to air terminals or across the country to Bucharest, which is the capital of Romania, that had one of these new animals in their Mm -hmm. possession. They were carrying them very proudly on top of all their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like your time in Surrette was very fruitful and very productive and that you found out some things that It was short, but it was important. We met important people doing important work. And that's what we talked about on the last program that there was not a lot of people in the camp that day is not indicative of there being no traffic. In fact, it's much more an indication of how fast the traffic is moving. And efficient they are with yeah. the, with moving the people. And so this uh, Salvation for Children tent, Save the Children Romania, mm-hmm. was decked out, ready for the next class to come through. And any given day, they could have five kids, they could have 50. Mm. But they would have a program ready to go for them and find out where they came from, what their grade level was, do they want to practice their drawing or their writing or send a letter to somebody or something like that? They would let them process some of what they're going through, along with learning some things or being reinforced in their lessons with the teachers and the volunteers that are there. They know that they're doing work that is not just about keeping the kids occupied while their parents do other things. Well, on the surface, it looks like that. Yeah. And they are obviously keeping them occupied, but they know that each of the kids has a raft of baggage emotionally that they're Mm -hmm. carrying with them. And their job is to help the kids know they're safe and open up as far as they're able or willing to in order to lift the burden Mm -hmm. and be aware, be reading the room well, so that whatever the conditions the kids are that are coming in, that they respond appropriately to what those kids' needs are. Well, even if the children don't know they're processing grief and trauma, Mm -hmm. they are. Oh, of course. And I believe that what Save the Children is doing there is beautiful and so important because it helps these children get feelings out onto paper, Mm. into drawings, into play, just outside of their bodies so they can process this. This tent that was in this camp was kind of funky because it was bright orange on the outside. (laughs) 
some of those organizations choose their colors based on their themes for mm-hmm. their organization. Many of them choose a bright caution orange simply to indicate that they're there to serve. The tents themselves stick out. So people know that there are services or help available there in those tents. Yeah. It also has a weird effect inside because they're fairly translucent. It let a lot of light in, but all the light that gets in is bright orange. <laughs> so on the highest part of the sun during the day, you're going to have a very, very neon orange experience inside of these tents. And it comes out really strange in the pictures. <laughs> um, the kids don't seem to mind, of course. And they're just playing like crazy in there when they have a chance to stretch and know that they're safe. And they're being watched and they can tumble around. They've got soft mats in there like a, right. a gymnasium and work tables and decorations up high. And, of course, those piles of stuffed animals available to them. But not a big tent in terms of its land area. It's only like maybe 30 by 30 feet. But mm-hmm. they're going to do a lot of work inside those tents. Yeah. Well, let's move down the road now. You left Surrette and traveled a very long distance into Galatz. Tell us what you met when you got up the next morning in Galatz. Getting down to Galatz was a probably a six or seven hour road trip and at high speed. So we're running right back the direction we came up from Yash for the first half of the country. And that's high mountainous country with long sloping valleys fall away from there, but mostly pine forests and snow. It had been a very cold couple of days, and we're talking the beginning of, of March. So we're getting into the very end of winter, but should be springish weather that far south in Europe. No way. It was cold, bitingly cold. By the time we dropped back down to get to the flatlands, we're kind of hoping things would even out, but it was getting to be 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Curfews were underway in Mm. a lot of these places because they were trying to control the traffic because so many refugees were on the roads between those hours. They're trying to clear out the roads in the evening so that people that were refugees and convoys could get through without much traffic jams. Mm. The locals were encouraged strongly to be at home between like 10 and 8 in the morning. As we're going down through the country, we noticed that gas prices were spiking and quickly. Between the time that I arrived in Romania and four days later, the price had almost doubled per liter of gas. You know, of course, we've been very concerned here in America because we're big consumers of gasoline. Mm-hmm. When the price jumps above 2 or 3 or $4, it really gets our attention. In most of Europe, gas is already more expensive. The markets are more fractured, or they have higher taxes, or they use the taxes from fuel to help fund all the other public transportation that most people use on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, most people in Europe will use a car and public transit most of the time. So it's not a bad deal for them. And therefore, I think it's a pretty balanced system. So if you can't afford the gasoline that day, you can still, of course, take a train or bus anywhere you want to go. But when the gas starts getting above seven, eight, nine dollars a gallon in mm. Romanian currency, yeah. that really bites them too. Yeah. And they were feeling it. And we were going a very long distance, of course. And even though we were in a Volkswagen little minibus thing, it got like fifty miles to the gallon and diesel. It was still really expensive. Yeah. So we were flying through the country and thought maybe we should fuel up on the way. Everywhere we looked, left and right, after like ten o'clock at night. Long queues coming into the gas stations. I mean, as far as like half a mile or more of people lined up, and most of those plates being Ukrainian. So it was obvious that the places on the border were releasing refugees to get moving if they had their own car and giving them instructions about where to go next. Mm -hmm. That most of that would be in Bucharest, which is the capital and at the very center of the country. There was no way we were going to get gasoline along the way. We had a conference amongst ourselves saying, can we really make it that far? We really don't want to get stranded in the middle of a giant rice paddy or something mm-hmm. at the southern part of the country. No, we had enough fuel. We we're going to make it all the way into Galatz or beyond. So we pushed on. Hard part was nobody could find us a hotel room. 
because everybody on the south end of the country had let out their space to refugees coming across and international agencies and government people that needed to get to the front lines to help. There was nothing available. So we were just kind of praying that one through, saying it's okay if we sleep in the car, but it's going to be kind of tough for four large men in a very small little transport to do the night. But we could do it if we needed to. So a couple of friends in both Bucharest and back in Yash were on it, and they were calling around trying to find any place that was open to us. You couldn't even get a Ritz-Carlton or anything of that level. I mean, all those rooms were booked up by whoever could get a hand on them. Mm-hmm. So we shot right past Galazzo, and we got into the city thinking, there's got to be something farther south from here. Midnight or later, someone calls back and says, I got it. I got a place. Turns out it was kind of like a long-stay hotel that's used mostly by professionals or doctors and people that go on circuits because many parts of Romania actually have groups of nurses or doctors that travel around. Okay. That hotel was between Galatz and the next town down the road, which we were going to visit as well. We thought, perfect. We pull into the place. We felt like we'd stepped into, like, Netherlands. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was like Holland. It had, like, thatch roof buildings and kind of a theme-style hotel. Mm-hmm. Very nice place. We could not complain at all about our accommodations. And it happened to be right at the center point between the directions we needed to go each day. So we're grateful for that. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or give online at CompassionRadio.com. And you can text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 to make a gift right now through your phone. And make sure to let your friends know about that option, too. Thank you, friends, for letting God expand your faith through real activist giving today. And now, back to our discussion. The next morning, we jumped out of bed and got busy back into the lots to find out what was happening there. We found the hospital. We knew that we were going to try to contact the administrators because we've been invited to do so. Our church contact there had people in active service in hospitals and clinics, all kinds of things around the city, and said, you have invitations anywhere you want to go. Just tell us where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And so we had told them by phone, just schedule it. We'll be there. We promised to be there and available to you that morning. We got a message back from our good friend Doreen, who is the associate pastor at the Emmanuel Church there in town, to meet with the administrator of the hospital. And it was kind of like a county central hospital, but it was a very busy downtown area. Mm-hmm. And it was very busy. Mm-hmm. Ambulances coming and going left and right. And we worked our way through and finally found someone who was in the emergency services department who had a big old fire jacket on him because he was obviously manning ambulances got us back to meet the administrator of the hospital who has only been there for a few months, who turned out to be a very, very good friend of our friends. So they were very welcoming. Mm -hmm. And she said, just get anybody you can from all the heads of departments in here. Give me 30 minutes and let these folks talk to us. So we did that. We found a conference room and the emergency services guy ran around, grabbed all the other heads of departments, got them in that room within 15 minutes. Wow, That's saying a lot for a very large hospital. And we had a group of maybe 10 people in there. Jim had a very simple appeal to make. Conscious International has worked with medical professionals in the States for years, giving them opportunities to share their experience and training with anybody who would like to learn from them. Mm -hmm. 
And they've taken that kind of roadshow to many places across the world over the last 30 years. If they need obstetricians or people that are surgeons or specialists, and we can recruit them to go someplace, they'll send a letter of introduction. If a hospital wants that person to come in and help, they'll send a letter of acceptance and say, we'd love to have you come. That's the way it normally works. Mm-hmm. Everything's on a handshake right now right along now, the borderlands. So all the hospital administrator had to do was say, we'll get the letter, we'll send it to your office, but yes, we need your people to come train us. She pulled all of the people around the room saying, what do you need? And wow. had them list out the things they were short on, the equipment or training or how to work with people who are not experienced in that area. How do we train them on the fly? Mm-hmm. And Jim, because of his experience with all of these professional doctors, clinicians, specialists in the United States knew exactly how to answer each one of these questions. Mm. And so I've got a person in Atlanta area that does that thing. They could be available at the end of May to come train with you. How much time can you give them? They actually worked out an entire itinerary for these specialists to be in office at the hospital and available on a consulting basis for individuals Mm. and to do seminars for like two or three hours a day, training on specialties or equipment that they didn't have training for. So by the time we walked out of that building like three hours later, they had a whole schedule for the year mapped out to help bring really high quality training from the U.S. to that hospital and train as many as can get in the room. And the room could house maybe 50 or 100 people. Mm. So that was underway by the time we even got out of the hospital on our first stop. So we were grateful that God made a way for that, yes. that they were so welcoming and so eager yeah. to get help. Yeah. I love that they're so open to hearing from others around the world. Sometimes we are not open to those things. We think, oh, we know what we need to know and everything, but they realize what things they know and what they don't know. and <laughs> The known unknowns. Right. And I think it's great that we can partner along with Conscience International to supply these medical workers and doctors and specialists with even more training or equipment or supplies yeah. that they don't have available to them at this point. It is a matter of specific things they are asking for and seeing who can provide that. And that's why we are partnering with Conscious International for so long, because we know those opportunities will be addressed. And Jim will find somebody Mm -hmm. to go if the need is there and God makes it obvious that there's a need that we can help with. The thing that Compassion Radio brought to the table for this meeting was the connection, the friendships, the relationships that made it possible to open the door quickly. Mm-hmm. And because you and I have spent time with folks at the church and with the people in that city just two years ago and had spent a lot of quality time with them to find out what God was doing in that part of the country, Romania, we were able to leverage that quickly and mm-hmm. effectively. We opened doors for them. And that's gratifying to me that because Compassion Radio givers have been able to put us on site before, mm-hmm. you know that God's going to make something happen with the seeds that are planted, with the relationships that are built along the way. They always seem to stumble into something new and something even more impressive along the way. God just has that way about him. That's his economy. So I was glad to be able to help be a facilitator of that and to greet people that we both love that we hadn't seen in two years and just have time with them. And just having that rapport opens things up and relaxes the table and people start talking more freely. Mm -hmm. So that was fun for me. But we were also wanting to make sure that our people were going to take full advantage of the resource we were bringing them in Conscious International and say, get your list ready, get your questions ready, because we're going to have some real talk here. It's not just a look-see and shaking hands here. Mm -hmm. we got to get stuff done and organized. And they did. They brought it to the table. That's great. What kind of things were you seeing happening in the hospital regarding the refugees that were coming through? The refugees were 
mostly being handled by clinics, people they sent out to the colleges in the area whose dormitories had been open to house refugees. So they were constantly sending clinics out there to take care of needs as far away from the hospital and as close to the need of the refugees as possible. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't avoid the fact that many people were collapsing. Mm-hmm. and that were exhausted. Who knew how many different kinds of nationalities were stumbling through the emergency room? It was not a well-organized emergency room physically. It was like tacked on to a bunch of very old communist-era buildings. Mm-hmm. So you have these rugged, brutalist, heavy concrete with lots of tile-on-it buildings that were at the core of the hospital, and all of these other extended wandering halls. But there wasn't a hallway anywhere or a room anywhere in the hospital I could see that was not filled with gurneys and people. People with broken arms or cuts or something happened, like car wrecks, whatever. They were stuffed in hallways waiting for someone to see them. Like the worst things you see on TV, melodramas about right. hospital work and right. downtown emergency rooms. The whole hospital felt like a giant emergency room. Hmm. They were short-staffed because they had people out there dealing with refugees where they were and bringing them back to them anyway. So you had less people working for more people. Hmm. Everywhere we went. That was just the reality. Yeah. So not only do they need training and supplies and equipment, they need people to come and help with these situations. And they need someone that can help train people that are coming to them because they don't have enough time to train like they want to. Mm -hmm. And they need relationships to start finding people that can donate the kind of machinery that they're going to need. They need way more radiology equipment, x-rays, CAT scans, and all that kind of stuff. They know around the world right now that second-generation machines are coming into play in many places, So, which means the first-generation material is still functioning, but most hospitals are trying to get rid of it because they're trying to increase their efficiency and make things cheaper for them to operate. All that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff is happening in the first world. But that doesn't mean that all of these other machines are not wanted. Mm -hmm. But nobody has time right now to coordinate all that. So that's another strength, I think, that Conscious International has, is to get in touch with medical supply and surplus companies and get them to the shipping companies that have worked with us before to get the material sent to where it can be signed for and say, we're actually going to put it to use. Not just shipping it there, hoping somebody will, but somebody is expecting and waiting for it, is eager to receive this yes, equipment and put yes. it to use. I think that's very important that they know that it's coming, that it doesn't just show up on their doorstep and they're not knowing what to do with it or not even needing it, really. Right. Our children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must follow.
Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. The toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can mail Compassion Radio at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And we're online 24-7 at CompassionRadio.com. Don't wait, friends. Join us online to find out how you can be involved with this unique and timely ministry. And you can text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 to make a gift right now through your phone. And make sure to let your friends know about that option, too. Thank you, friends, for letting God expand your faith through real activist giving today. If you missed anything on today's program, of course, the podcast is always available online at CompassionRadio.com. So check that out, too. I'm Bram Floria. Thanks so much, and we'll see you tomorrow.